Come on, good morning, Journey Church. How are you? Listen, do me a favor really quick. Turn to somebody to your left or right or behind you or in front of you and say, I'm ready. Do it again the next side. They need to hear it too. Say, I'm ready. You ready to receive the word and be changed and transformed by it? All right, we're going to get into this this morning. We're going to be talking about Gideon today. There's a lot of things we can learn from a lot of these stories of old, a lot of the people that walked out this faith before us, and who also foresaw by the prophets these things to come that we now get to enjoy in the salvation of Christ. So first and foremost, I just want to ask you something. Do you see your life, when you take an examination of life, and we're going to do this a little bit at the end too, when you take an examination of your life, can you, can you say honestly with witnessing those areas of your life that you know that you don't fully trust God in yet? Probably because we feel inadequate about some of those things. It's like we feel like I want to do more. We cover this in Connect class a lot. Like there's something I'm drawing, something drawing. It may be something as simple as, as doing good deeds out with people in public, but you're maybe afraid of rejection or you're afraid of, of, of how it's going to look to other people. Or maybe something even more, uh, something more expounded upon, like you preaching the word of God, you going out and preaching to people. You know, you expound upon this gospel that we have, not just, not just the good deeds that come with it, but you expounding to lead people into that gospel. But you may feel inadequate. And a lot of these stories of old that we're covering actually have these people as a witness to that very thing. And now here we are thousands of years later reading about them. You have that same witness, and yet you have one even greater in Christ because they look forward to the things coming in Christ, and now you're a part of it. That should encourage us with boldness. So we're talking about faithfulness. We're talking about stories of old, but we're talking about faithfulness, being full of faith with God, not doubting, not allowing myself to feel inadequate. There's a truth that in my weakness he becomes strong. When I feel inadequate, I feel inadequate to get up before you today. You might not believe that because I may look confident, but it's not because of my studying. It's not because of, it's not because of, of how much I know. It's because I spend time with him. And that same inadequacy that I feel, he proves me wrong every single time. He proves me wrong by saying, listen, I think I was talking to Michael before we got started. I said, listen, I'm nervous right now, but you hit the gas pedal and the engine does its job. You don't control the engine. You just hit the gas pedal. Well, that's what Holy Spirit is in you. And that's what we're going to witness some of this today. So first, we're going to start it out with uh, James 1, through two, uh, 1, 2 through 4. Because we oftentimes become victims of our circumstances when we're supposed to be victorious through those circumstances. And we worship God through this limitation of, man, if only my circumstances would change, things would get better. And I had this plaque given to me one time. It says, when life gets too hard to stand, kneel. It's good advice. You've heard that. But I'll tell you one better. If you'll stay kneeled, life will never be too hard to stand. Stay in his presence. Isaiah 26, 3 says, if you keep your mind stayed on him, he'll keep you in perfect peace because you trust him. Because you trust him. So here we are. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I like specifically in the NIV that it says Whenever you face trials, what we're going to see through these stories of old and what we're going to see through Gideon is these trials, we, we treat these trials, these, these hardships, these circumstances that are, that are not, that, that always seem oppositional to us. We treat them like we're victims to them. In fact, many of us, not to be condemning on us, but just to encourage us to change it. Many of us don't even talk to the father until things go wrong. I'm talking about being faithful to God, not just faithfulness to him when you see circumstances are opposing you. Circumstances are always going to be opposing you. You know why? Because you're a citizen of heaven living in a fallen world. 
but you're the one sent. So when it says you face, how many times do we see in the Old Testament where circumstances are coming on to people and they just have to sit back and just deal with it? Not much. We see them in their own circumstances because they rejected God like we're going to see today. We see them becoming victims to those who oppressed them, which God allowed. He said, I'm not going to fend these off for you because you've disobeyed me. We're going to see that with Israel in a few minutes. But he didn't send Goliath to face David. He sent David to face Goliath. So when you face various trials, understand that you're the one empowered by Christ, the same anointing. The word Christ means the anointed one. By the Holy Spirit, you're the same one empowered to go and face the circumstances we have in this world. And we take, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And we, we put it on the backside of, hey, you know in this world you're going to have trouble. And we seem to emphasize that. No, 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 no. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Amen. I love what that, that, that next to the last song says. I can't quote it now, but because he's not finished, I'm not finished. Like he's the one finishing this work. He's the one. And like I said, you do some work. You do some application. Just like Ephesians 2 says, grace was the reason that salvation is given to you. But faith is the reason it's appropriated to you. In other words, it says specifically that salvation came by grace, is given by grace, but by faith, it's appropriated to you. You take steps. In other words, you put your foot on the gas pedal and the engine does its job. You don't have to have any power of your own self. And we often rely on our own self for power. And whenever we feel like that power is inadequate, then we shrink back. Because it is inadequate. So when you face trials of any kinds, because, I mean, take, good, take heart, be of, good, be of good cheer, have pure joy. When you face these things, knowing that the testing or the proving, I like to use that word proving, it's proving your faithfulness to God, will be complete. And you'll be lacking in, what's that last word? You won't be lacking in what? But we kind of live sometimes like we're lacking in something. The word, your Bible says that God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's capital I, capital I, I mean, capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. Life is yours. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life, give it more abundantly, that you may have it abundantly. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking, again, in anything. You're not lacking anything according to the Spirit. So now we're going to go into Hebrews. Hebrews really sets the, the, the tone for what these, uh, these people of old walked through. And it wasn't able to cover all of them. And we're going to cover some of those that Hebrews listed. Namely, we're going to cover Gideon today. But let's just set up some of the background for why we read about them. And let's set up further background for what it looked like under the Judges era. All right. Out of Hebrews 11, this is what we kind of call the hall of faith. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely or diligently seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. Why? And I want you to put this in mind. This is not in your notes, but you can write it down. Faith equals trust. Trust equals obedience faith equals trust trust equals obedience when you trust god responding to him won't be a problem and you're going to see this in gideon 
how God spoke, but he kind of kept looking for a sign. And God accommodated it. He's not looking down on him for that. But he would have been better off to just say, all right, Lord, you said it. I'm going to do it. Because another one of the things we read in Hebrews chapter 1 is that in previous times, God spoke to us through his prophets. But in this time, he has spoken to us through his son. The very son of God, the word of God that created the entire universe has spoken to you through his word. And yet we still kind of shrink. Again, not condemning, just examining self. God didn't condemn. He gave accommodation for them to work through their fear. I'm just saying you have a greater you have a greater impartation, a greater promise than he had. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about the things that had never happened before. Imagine that. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Righteousness comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home and to go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. You ever been there before? I was in Tennessee back in December pondering if I was going to come to Journey or not. Back in October when I received the word, it took me three months to get settled. I was like Gideon that you're going to see in just a moment. I kept saying, God, are you sure? We got fruitful work going on here. He said, I need you there. Yes, sir. I don't have to think about it. Just, you know, I shouldn't have to think about it. But I doubted myself. Again, allowing my feelings of inadequacy to, to, to direct me. It should be his strength in me that directs me. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They foresaw prophetically what was coming in our era. The church was built, as we, re- as we uh, sang in a song a few minutes ago. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth because their citizenship was in heaven. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country that they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this is what the people of of the old stories that we're reading about, this is where their mind was. I can give myself to whatever the Father has called me to because I have all self-preservation lost. In the Garden of Eden, there was this, this, this transition that took place. They had life preservation from God, but Satan introduced self-preservation and they bit the, the fruit. They traded life preservation for self-preservation, and now we have to trade self-preservation for life preservation. Because Jesus said, if you desire to be my disciple, if you want to truly follow after me, you must first deny self. Take up your cross and come and follow me. You see that transition? Get rid of self-preservation. These guys knew that. They said, I'm not hanging on to what's here on earth. This is temporary. I want to be with my father. And your first step to being faithful to God is not being tethered to anything here on earth. Everything here on earth has been given to you to enjoy, but not to own you. So your first step in being faithful to God is, I don't really care what happens to me. I don't have to worship him through my circumstances. My circumstances are of no effect to me. Live free, die hard, doesn't matter. I'm going to be with him, so it doesn't matter if I'm martyred or if I didn't get the best parking place at Aldi. 
or if Aldi's line is all the way down the back aisle. I just want to plug that in. Count it all joy. <laughs> all these people earned a good reputation. They earned a good reputation with God because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised them. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. They wouldn't, the word perfection there is completion. The whole thing wouldn't be complete without us receiving Christ. That has a huge implication to your part in, in, in the, the, the outlay of eternity. Like your salvation, your faith, your faithfulness to God brings theirs to completion. Much like it said about Abraham, that he trusted God, but it was his actions, it was his obedience that brought his faith to completion. So to just say, I trust God, and to sit idle is nothing. James says, if you're a hearer of the word, not a doer, you're like a man who looks in the mirror and walks away and forget what he, forgets what he looks like. So Abraham wasn't just counted righteousness because he said, I trust God. His faith was an action. So that's why we read Hebrews 11, one a minute ago, that faith is the essence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, how much more do I need to say? It would, be, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So what we're going to do is talk about these who by faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with, in, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. I should have underlined that like several times. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from, the, from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. That's what they were looking forward to. Now, we're going to get into Judges, and we're going to do just a little bit of backdrop on that. Because we need to understand what was going on with the cycle of Israel, what was taking place that God needed to implement Judges. Judges took place during the time frame when Joshua took over from Moses. They're going into Canaan. Some of the tribes defeated the other, other peoples in Canaan, they, they, all of the ites, right? The, all the Canaanites, there was like seven different groups of people under Canaan. And the ones that, the Gideon, that Gideon and his people were up against were mainly the Midianites. Between the time of Joshua and where Samuel introduced King Saul, the judges lived and ruled over Israel. Much like a military leader, though, not like a president. Uh, they, they, they led like a general. Like when it was time to go to battle, when it was time to handle things, they were the ones that would kind of call the orders. And Gideon was one of those. You can read about it in, in Gideon um, six, chapter 6 through 8. I recommend you go do that. But this is what happened as we got into Israel's uh, conquest into Canaan. The angel Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to you to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. 
So now, this is what we have. We have a cycle that Israel was going through. And I want you to see this because this happened. Remember, these, this cloud of witnesses was, was written for our instruction, for us to learn from. They're written so that we can find uh, some, some purpose in learning from and moving beyond. So this is what we have. Israel began faithful. They stayed focused on the Father during the time frame when everything was going good. Then they would move to abandonment when everything got too good. Then he would deliver them into tyranny. Then they would cry out for help again. And then he would embrace them again. And he would send a rescuer. And now enter, we have the judges. So here's a principle that we want to make sure is not (laughs) evident in our life. It seems that when things are going good, we often forget about God. And then things turn to turmoil and we cry out to him. Again, that's not a condemning thing to say. It's not supposed to discourage you. It's only supposed to be that you take an examination of your life and say, I'm not going to be that person that only cries out to God when things are going negatively. I'm going to be the one who seeks after him because I love him, because I trust him. All my days. So now we've got the judges leading into Gideon. The story happens in Judges 6 through 8. And because it's uh, three chapters long, we're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to give you an outline and kind of talk about some of, uh, some of uh, Gideon's trials. But I do encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. Number one, Israel disobeys and God hands them over to Midian. That starts in six, chapter 6, verse 1. And we see that. This is the beginning of the cycle. And what you're going to also notice as you go through the cycle is not only were the people themselves living out this cycle that we saw. I gave the acronym FATHER. It's just easy to remember. The FATHER cycle. They'd be faithful and they end up having to be rescued in the end. Well, not only was it happening as a people, it was happening individually too. And Gideon kind of followed that, that cycle a little bit in his own personal life. And you'll see that unfold. But Israel obeys God and God hands them over to Midian. Midian comes in, they're taking all of their people. This is actually one of the first references in history where you actually see battle taking place with camels. The Midianites had camels that outnumbered the stars. You'll find that out as you read through there. So God hands them over to Midian, and they come in and they steal all their stuff. They're they're taking their livestock, they're taking their crops, everything that they would work hard for, Midian would come in and oppress them and take their stuff. Number two, Israel cries out to God, starting in verse 6, 7. He cries out to God, and God sends a prophet. God's never going to bring, bring a rescue before he sends a correction. In the Old Testament, the prophet, one of the main jobs of the prophet wasn't just to foretell things to come, such as the salvation of Jesus. A prophet was oftentimes coming to bring correction, a lot of the time. So he's going to rescue them, but in order for them not to repeat their same mistakes, he's going to say, listen, this is what happened. You remember it. You were there. You ought not have disobeyed me. So he brings correction by sending a prophet to rebuke, to correct, to instruct. Then an angel appears to Gideon and calls him mighty hero. Now what's funny about this particular passage is Gideon was actually hiding, threshing his wheat in a wine cellar, basically. Now that's not why you thresh wheat. You actually go up on a hilltop and you throw it into the wind and it separates the chaff. The wind carries it off. But he knows that the Midianites are going to see him. And so he's trying to protect himself, and he's trying to protect his goods. So it's ironic that, that Gideon, as you find out in the next couple of passages, the ironic that Gideon would say, 
I'm weak. Because this is indicative that he's, that he's weak in nature, that he doesn't feel strong and mighty. But an angel appears to him and calls him mighty warrior or mighty hero. Gideon, first thing he does is questions to God about their circumstances. So what happens is we put ourselves in certain circumstances because we take control of the will instead of just being a vessel, useful vessel. We take control of the will and we get ourselves in the circumstances. Then we say, God, why did you let this happen? Now, oftentimes it doesn't have anything to do with us. Sometimes it's about somebody else against us. But just keep in mind when that happens that Ephesians 6 is very true, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That your battle, your, your, your war is not in the natural. And those people who come against you, Jesus said to even love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. persecute you, Love those who spitefully use you. Do good to them. Because here's the truth. If they knew who they were, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing to you. So you're just collateral damage of their victimization. Honestly, they feel inadequate. They feel like they don't have anything to live for. They don't have anything of value in their life because they don't have a closeness with Jesus. If they did have a closeness with Jesus, they would become transformed like Romans 12, 2 says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if they knew who they were in Christ, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing to you. And you should be fighting for those who are fighting against you. You should fight for those who are fighting against you. Just as Jesus went to the cross, fighting for those who were nailing him to the cross, you take up your cross and do the same thing. But Gideon questions about their circumstances. God, if you're with us, why is all this happening? Well, I said I'm not going to be with you. You disobeyed. You went in and you didn't follow through with my, exam- my, my, my instruction. I told you to defeat them all or they're going to be a thorn to your flesh. And you didn't do it. Instead, you intermingled. You synchronized your worship with me, with them, with their God. They worship the God of Baal. They worship the God Baal. B-A-A, or some pronounce it Baal. You intermingled your worship with Baal. He said that was going to be a temptation. But we know in James later on, God says, with every temptation, I'm going to give you a way out. You have an option. It's by your will. So don't question God whenever circumstances seem to get hard, and it was as a result of you not trusting him to begin with. I've been there several times, many times. But then God calls Gideon, and Gideon doubts. He doubts himself. He begins to doubt that he can even get this accomplished. And God assures him. The voice of God is speaking to Gideon, and God assures him that he'll be with him. He assures you the same thing today. No matter what he calls you to, He's going to carry you through. But you have to give your entire self and surrender to him. This crucifix position, this cross position. I give my entire self to you, Father, so that you can use me. Gideon's still doubting he requires a sign. And he, God accommodates. This is the fleece. This is when, when Gideon threw out the fleece and he said, Lord, if you're really calling me, if you're really going to give Midian into my hand, I'm going to lay this fleece here. And in the morning, I want you to put dew on the fleece and the, dry, the ground be dry. And then the next time he says, he needs two signs. He says, next morning I want you to leave the fleece dry and dew on the ground. God said, sure, I can do that. If that makes you feel better, I'll do that. 
But do you see the thing going on here? He's living by self-preservation and human nature. He wants to be sure instead of just trusting the word of the Lord. I want us to move past Gideon to where we trust the word of God without doubt, without wavering. So Gideon requires a sign, then Gideon builds an altar, Yahweh Shalom. Actually, this is the sign, I'm sorry, the fleece, this is the fleece happens in a minute. This is the sign where God actually, actually speaks to him. He gives him the sign, and Gideon builds an altar to Yahweh in verse 24. Then God tests Gideon's faithfulness and requires a clean house. What happened is that Gideon's dad, Gideon's father, was an actual worshiper of Baal. He'd bought into this Midianite worship. And he says, I want you to go out there and tear that thing down. He goes out and tears it down, and the people start to get riled up against him. Because those who worship Baal, they're out against him. Listen, when you start to move on behalf of God's will, when you start to move on his word, opposition is going to get you, try to get you discouraged. God didn't, he already called Gideon. He didn't really need to do that for God's sake, for his own sake. He needed Gideon to have something to face. Remember, count it all joy when you face these things. He needed him to face that to say, because until you're in that moment where you're facing something, you're not sure how you're going to react. But the moment you step past it and you actually overcome it, then there's this invigorating thing that happens. You say, wow, I overcame it. And guess what? Nobody ever got through a hardship on the other side and looked back and said, man, I wish I would have worried more about that. (laughs) We've all come through those things. We came through those things. Why not just be at peace from the very outset and not let it get to us? Keep your mind stayed on him. So then an alliance formed against him. I mean, against Israel, all of the eastern uh, peoples with Midian and some others, they formed against them. They began to organize. And then here, God clothes Gideon with power, and Gideon calls forth an army. This is where Gideon starts to get bold. He starts to get bold. He clothes them with power. Keep that in mind. Now, the difference here with the Old Testament, things like Samson and David and Gideon and all these other people that we read about in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down and alight them, would fall on them in order for things to get accomplished, do miraculous and great exploits. In the era of Jesus, he came to, to John the Baptist, and John says, when I see the Spirit remain, this is the prophecy to him, and when you see the Spirit come and remain, you'll know this is the Christ. See, you, you are the inheritance of that. The Spirit doesn't come and fall and, and land on you and go back up. He said, I will be with you and will be in you. He will remain with you because he don't need to come on an unrighteous people who have not been made righteous in spirit yet. You've been made righteous now. Now he said, I've made my home in you. The kingdom of God would not be looked for out where, el- elsewhere. He said, the kingdom is within you because his spirit is within you. His kingdom is not a place per se. It's his presence, and he lives in you. So that's one significant difference between you and Gideon, you and Samson, you and Job, that Job did not have what you have. Study it. So God clothes Gideon with power, and Gideon calls an army. You see this boldness taking place. Gideon then asks, this this is where the fleece comes in. Gideon then asks for two signs. God accommodates it. He didn't, he didn't. Look down on him for it. He said, sure, if that's what you need to be courageous. I mean, we do that with our kids, right? Come on, you can do it. Well, I don't want you to take the training wheels off. All right, well, I'll leave them a little bit longer, but I'm going to bend them out just a little bit so you get a little bit more sway in the training wheels before I take them off because I want you to have confidence in what I'm saying. But how, how true is it that my kids could accomplish so much faster if they would listen to me the first time? Can I get a witness? 
And how many times has the Father said that to me? If you just would have listened to trust me the first time. But that's okay. I love you. I want you to see it. I'm going to walk with you through this. So then, Gideon asked for two signs, and then this is the place where, where Gideon has called the army, and they bring them together. they got about 32,000 people. God says, no, we can't have this many people because then the people will say, well, it got accomplished by the numbers, by the power of the people. And that's not really where God wanted it to be. He wanted it to be evident that God did the work. So he takes those, those 32,000 people. They get reduced to 22,000 people because some were afraid. Those 22,000 people got reduced again. Ultimately, Gideon's up with 300 people. And 300 people against the Midianites of 135,000 is a 450 to 1 ratio. That's like me against, if every single seat in this house is filled, it's like me against 450 people in this house. That's the ratio. So that it could be said that God accomplished this, not a man, not by man's power. So God reduces God's army. God offers assurance again. If you are afraid, go down. You'll hear them talking about you. There's just one guy who had a dream about y'all coming and defeating them. So after that happened, then Gideon gets this burst of energy again. And despite these overwhelming odds, Gideon finally feels assured. I don't care if it's 135,000 people against 300. I'm sure now that God, now I'm sure, finally, after, after one sign, two signs, and God reassured me and I get to hear it for myself, now I'm sure. Listen, he could have been sure just the first time, guys. That's what I'm trying to really get across. Fullness of faith. Not wait till it's getting there. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying we had the same result if we would have just trusted him from the beginning. You had the same result in the end. So Gideon simultaneously humbled and emboldened. Sometimes we shy away, shy away feeling like we're, we're, you know, maybe we're being a little too humanistic to be bold about the word of God. It's not my boldness in myself that I feel. It's my boldness in the truth of his word that I feel. So I can be both humble and bold at the same time, and it may offend people. But they may not get it that I am emboldened by his word. I am emboldened by what he has sent me to do. So Gideon is simultaneously humbled and emboldened and then becomes victorious, destroying everything that God told him to destroy to begin with. Because you said, why would, this is one of those big questions. Why would God destroy them? Because it would have become a cancer to all of humanity. It would have become a cancer to all of humanity. There's a lot of things we could go over and, and unpack that stuff, but just study it out. You'll see that God's not a tyrant. He's preserving his seed. No different than if a thief come in your home and tried to harm your children, you'd say, it's either me or you, brother. And I'm going to be standing when we're done. You, you drop your weapon or we're going to handle business. I've got some too. It's no different. You're protecting your seed. You're protecting your home. And God's protecting his home, his children. So Gideon, in the, in the last part of this, to, to, to show you where he goes back into the cycle, in the, in the last part of this, Gideon repeats Israel's cycle again. He's faithful to God, even give God credit for the gospel, for the, for the accomplishment of this great feat. But he makes this ephod out of the gold. He kind of compromises a little bit, and they begin to worship in what it says they, they prostitute themselves for the ephod that he built. And then his son becomes wicked. So that should speak to us to say, stay the course, don't waver, because it can produce something after us that doesn't carry through God's will. It doesn't carry his purpose, his intentions through. 
I don't want my children to be to have to go through I don't want my children to have to go through recoveries from my failures. If I just remain faithful to God, they'll see it in me. I don't want them to have to be victims of my lack of trust in God. And they have been to some extent. I've been to my children numerous times and said, did you see how I was acting when I freaked out? That's not a reflection of him. That was a reflection of me not trusting him. And I'd repent to them. So now, let's go back and review Hebrews 11. Faith is not some abstract concept. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what we cannot see. If you trust God, there should be some corresponding action to you trusting God. And life takes place in the decimals. It's in the the details. So it's not always big things. It's the small faithfulness that helps you accomplish those big things. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Remember, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good report, a good reputation. What's your reputation going to be with God? Because he says it's impossible to please him without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he first exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. If we really believed he rewarded those who sincerely seek him, we would never stop seeking him. We'd go about our day but remain in his presence, focused on him all the time. So here's some next steps for us. It's a self-examination. Number one, seek. Examine yourself. Do I take time to seek God in word and prayer? Not in a religious repetition, but because my heart is after him. Be a doer. Does my life show evidence that I trust God? Can other people see that I trust God? What's your reputation? Most importantly, know this. Because I know when there's spankings on the, you know, every time I have to, have to discipline one of my children, I wrap them up in my arms and I hold them in my lap. I want them to know that just because I had to discipline or punish them, I want them to know how much I love them. And they know that too. As soon as they're done, they, can, they, can, they crawl right up my lap and lay their head here and cry, and I cry with them. God does that with you. So know this. God is a tender, loving, patient, merciful, and gracious Father who delights in my growth. He didn't mind giving Gideon the signs that he needed. He was patient with him. I want you to bow your heads with me, please. And as we said earlier, Ephesians 2 says that grace, I mean that salvation comes by grace and through faith. It comes by grace and through faith. So God has already done the grace part. He's given you the salvation available to you. Today, will you trust him? If you're online, will you trust him? If you've never received salvation and put your faith in him, would you do that in this moment? Don't let this moment pass. I want to pray with you in just a second. But first, I'm just going to ask you, if there's anybody in this room, and if at home you can text my decision to 94,000, But if there's anybody in this room who would say, I want to put my trust in Jesus, would you raise your hand?
you've never trusted him before and you want to put your trust in him. Thank you. Now for everyone else, you say, I know I need and I want to trust him even more. Would you raise your hand? I want to trust Jesus more than what I have thus far. Thank you for that. I just want to pray with you. Father, I thank you today for the lives of those who do trust you, that we have given ourselves to you and received the salvation. I pray for those, Father, who have now received salvation, that this life they have in you becomes contagious, that the joy they feel, the empowerment they feel, the love and the tenderness they feel from you is something that other, people's, other people can witness. And we thank you for today. If you've raised your hand, pray this with me, if you will. Say, Father, I surrender myself to you. I ask you to forgive me as I have sinned. And I surrender everything that I am for your will and purpose. I trust you, Jesus. Amen. You guys, we have a wonderful opportunity to be a demonstration of the gospel wherever we are. So I encourage you today to examine self. And as we move back into worship, we've got the prayer team down here. And we want to be able to take some opportunity to do a self-examination and just find out where we need to increase our faithfulness to God today.